Uh, we're in a series right now called, uh, called B-Sides. And uh, today I'm actually really excited about it. I, I typically am excited uh, about speaking, but I'm really extra excited today about what we're talking about. The whole idea of B-Sides is that not everyone slays giants, not everyone parts the Red Sea, I don't think. I mean, I, I've never done that. Uh, but everyone can make an eternal difference. And when you think about the people that made a difference in your life, uh, they probably weren't super cool. They probably didn't have a million followers on Instagram. They probably were just a pretty normal person that invested into you, right? I think about the, <laughs> I'll never forget that there's this guy named Q-Tip, ironically. Uh, well, his, his name, that, that wasn't his God-given name. Uh, that's what he went by because uh, he was kind of shaped like a Q-Tip, had a big afro. and uh, So he had a huge, <laughs> literally, uh, and he had a huge impact on my life when I was in high school. And I remember going to some of the leaders later and going, man, you know who made a huge impact was this, that Q-tip uh, guy. And they're like, really? It's like, yeah, why? They're like, he was kind of a mess up. And I'm like, I don't know. He impacted my life. And so this is the whole idea of B-sides, that everyone can make a difference, even people like you and people like me. So if you feel like, man, I'm not, I don't look right. I'm not the right age. I'm not on the right training. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not like that person. How could God use me? Hey, he uses you and he uses me, he uses Q-tip and he uses donkeys, uh, all, right? So if he, can use, uh, if he can use me, trust me, he can use you. And the whole idea is that every story matters. And if every story matters, your story matters, right? And not only your story matters, every part of your story matters. The, the high moments and then the moments that no one else sees. And so our prayer, actually, one of our prayers as a church is that you'd cultivate a deep and rich and authentic relationship with God. A deep, a rich, authentic relationship with God. Not that you come to church and, and you're, just, you're good at singing the right songs and attending the right things and writing the right checks. But that you would have actually have a real, real, not that you say the right things and do the right things, but a real, authentic, you know it's real. Authentic relationship with God. A transparent relationship with God. It's so easy for us to become professional Christians where we know how to do and say all the right things. But if we're honest... We don't have a real relationship with God, or we haven't in a long time. We just know how to play the part, right? And if you're, if you're in that situation, many of the people I'm talking to, they're not, it's not like you want to be a hypocrite. You're just going, I don't know. Somewhere along the way, I drifted, and I, I don't know if I'm actually in a relationship with God anymore. There's no tangible evidence that I'm in a relationship with God anymore, right? Good person, right? So our prayer is that you'd have a, a transparent, rich, and authentic relationship with God. And so... The, one of the first retreats I ever went to was a retreat in the spring of 1995, before some of you guys were born. And it was, uh, it was called No Shadows Cast. It's actually the retreat that God changed my life. And the whole idea of No Shadows Cast, I'll never forget it because it was the, literally the March 11th, 95 was the day that God changed my life. The whole idea of No Shadows Cast was if, you were, if, it's, if it's dark and you were uh, across a candle from somebody, if you're close enough to them to have no shadows on your face, that kind of proximity is like real, authentic relationship, intimacy, right? And so uh, my old youth pastor used to say, intimacy means into you I see, into your heart I see, right? So it's kind of cheesy, but it works. So the no whole no shadows cast idea is that we be that close to God, that God's not in the shadows and we're not hiding the shadows, wondering if God can see what we're doing. But we're close enough, right? In the good times and the bad times, in the highs and the lows, and the times where we're excited and the times that we're ticked off, that you know that you can be mad at God and he can handle it? You understand that? And we're gonna, so we're, what we're going to do is um, we're going to go through three journal entries. Not of mine, but actually of your. No, no I'm just kidding. Uh, I went to your house this week. Uh, no, so one, an important part of, of my life has been journaling. 
Some of you guys may call it a diary. I feel weird doing that. I feel like I need to have like a pink lock, locking a little fuzzy book. And, you know, so it's, it's not a, it's a journal, okay? And so, and what I've done, it used to start as a, like a dead tree paper journal. And over time, it became, like in the late 90s, became, I got my first laptop made by AT&T. Do you guys know AT&T used to make laptops? Anyways, I had one, and it was about that thick, and had a trackball. And I used to journal on it. Okay, and then it moved over to different programs throughout the years. Now I use this app called Day One. Day One. I highly recommend it. I'm not sponsored by them or anything, but I don't even know how that would even work. But it's been a game changer for me. And here's why I like Day One. It syncs with all my different devices, but I can do audio. Not dictation, audio. So when we, the first service of the church, September 16th, 2018, uh, I did an audio uh, journal entry because I wanted to hear my voice. I wanted to hear the nervousness, the excitement, the, ner- the nervous-sided kind of emotions, right? I wanted to hear that in my voice so I can listen back to it later, right, of this great experiment called Voice Church to see what's going to happen, right? There's, it, it logs uh, pictures. You can take pictures. It logs your location, the temperature, all that kind of stuff so that you can go back, right? Did you ever read like an old journal entry and you're going, I don't know what it was like. This captures everything, uh, right? And so now I, I dictate. I go on my prayer walks and I dictate, and my neighbors just think I'm on. A, I'm just talking to someone because you know, everyone talks on speakerphone now. And so they just think I'm talking on my phone and I'm actually uh, dictating. And I don't want anyone to read the, read this journal. And the reason why I do it digitally is not only because it's convenient, because it's encrypted, biometrically, right? Because I don't want anybody reading anything in my journal because it is brutally. Honest, no shadows cast, right? Brutally honest. And uh, yeah, and so I actually think that there's some Psalms that are David's journal entries. And actually, if you read through some the Psalms, you'll see a little snippet uh, on top. It'll be like, to the choir director. It'll like, you know, have some, you know, explanation. But it, some of them will say things like, Written after David slept with Bathsheba. And then there's this psalm. So I want to, us to go through three psalms. It's a lot of, uh, of Bible, but I want you to read them differently. My hope is that you'll actually read the Bible, read, read psalms differently. Because David didn't write these psalms to be bangers in the church. He didn't do them to be for royalties, right? He didn't do them because his church was releasing an EP, he did them because this was, was actually what he was feeling. They weren't these abstract ideas. They were connected to what he was actually feeling and going through, and they were brutally honest. And so the first one, uh, I want you to imagine the scene. David is young. He's just anointed king. So the, the prophet comes into town. David's out because we, we talked about this before. I think we're on Christmas time. David was out in the field uh, being shepherd because the, the lowest, the least useful or the youngest person in the family was the shepherd of the family. And so David is out uh, in, uh, being the shepherd. The, the prophet comes into the, the house saying, hey, God told me one of your sons is going to be the next king. And so David's dad lines up all of his brothers, and the prophet's like, nope, 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 nope. And then the, the dad's like, well, that's got to be one of them. They, they're strong, they're handsome, they're tall. They're... And the, the prophet's like, do you have any other kids? Literally, the Bible says, do you have any other sons? And the dad's like, oh, yeah, right? So you get a glimpse into kind of how that relationship worked. David wasn't probably very secure, wasn't encouraged. His dad didn't even consider him 
that he could possibly be a leader. And so that's the context of this relationship. David, you know, they, they, they reach David. David comes in. This, uh, the, the prophet goes, yes, that's the guy. He's anointed king. And then uh, some uh, commentators believe that he actually ran back out to what he was familiar to, out in the pasture, in the back fields, back with the sheep, you know, his, his boys. <laughs> and he pens, he pens Psalm 23. Psalm 23. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you're an imposter? You ever feel like you, you aren't strong enough, good enough, talented enough? You're either too young or you're too old. You, have, you don't have enough training or you have too much training. You, you've, you've sinned too much or you, it's, this is the weirdest thing. I've, I've talked to so many people that are like, I've done too much messed up stuff. And then I've talked to other people going, I've never done anything wrong. I've, I've always grown up in the church. I've always been a good kid. I'd, it's like, so God can use nobody, right? So maybe you've sinned too much. Maybe you haven't sinned enough in your head, right? And so you're going, I feel like an imposter, but you just feel like you don't have what it takes. How could God use me? You feel anxious when you think about the responsibility. You're going, oh, there's no way I could ever do that. You're going to let everyone down, right? You feel like everyone's whispering in the shadows, like, come on, they're, they're going to fail. We're just waiting for them to fail. And in David's case, his brothers probably were. His dad probably was. His dad's probably like, seriously? Right? So then he pens this. I want you to read it in context. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I read in, I'm reading in a different translation. You probably memorized it, so it's not like ritual, okay? Hope it's, hope it's a little fresh, a little jarring. The Lord is my shepherd. So not only am I a shepherd to these sheep, the Lord is my shepherd. He takes care of me like I take care of these sheep. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. Other translations say he makes me lie down. Like when I don't, you know, like he's like pacing. He make lie down right? He, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. You ever feel like that? You feel like you have nothing left. You're running on fumes. He renews my strength. Super fast charging, right? He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, other translations say the, the, the valley of the shadow of death, like death is just right there, just out of sight. I will not be afraid. I will not, even though the stock market is crashing, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Circumstances may not change, but I'm not going to be afraid because God is with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. They comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I'm not going to starve in front of them. I'm actually going to be fat and happy in front of my enemies. I'm going to be taken care of in front of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. And oil was symbolic of the, the spirit of God resting on someone. So you honor me. Man, I don't deserve this, but you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. I'm tripping over all the great things in my life. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to chase good things. I don't have to chase favor. I don't have to chase love and do things that to betray my character, my commitment to God in order to get success and love. They're going to pursue me. Like our puppy, he's five or six months old. I can't remember now. He like is always grabbing your ankles behind you because he just wants to hug you all the time, right? He's like a little bear. It's like that, right? Surely your goodness and unfailing love called Walter will pursue me 
all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I have eternal security. You can see David writing this and going, okay, let's do this. Right? What an honest moment. In that spot, he's leading his soul. He's leading his soul. So whether you feel like you're in that spot uh, or not, man, when, you, when you're in that, those situations, read this psalm. And can I challenge you? There's a bajillion, technically, a bajillion uh, different translations of the Bible. And I know some are more accurate than others. Some are more spiritual than others. Read a new one when you get into moments like this so that it's jarring to you, so you get a fresh kind of revelation of what it is. Sometimes we get in these religious ruts where the words stop having meaning anymore. You're like, if you're like, um, like if you're designing and you like see the same word over and over and over again, and you're going, wait, is that even, is that the right spelling? Because it looks so weird, right? Because you look at it so much. It's, it doesn't even look like itself anymore. It can be like that way with the Bible. We read the same passages over and over and over again that they stop having meaning anymore, right? So, if King David felt like an imposter, if King David felt like he couldn't do it, if he was anxious, if he felt like he was in the valley of the shadow of death, if, if, he, felt, if he felt like he was surrounded by enemies, and you what? You will too at some point. The problem is not, is not feeling those things. The problem is what do you do when you feel those things, right? It's not anti-faith to feel fear. It's not anti-faith to feel anxiety. It's not anti-faith to feel like an imposter. It's called being human, it's anti-faith to let it paralyze you. It's anti-faith to say, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to go forward. I'm not going to obey God. I'm just going to sit here. You feel the fear and you do it anyways. Okay, second journal entry. This time, David is older. He's getting super popular, really popular, right? Saul, the current king, is threatened by David because they'll say, like, Saul killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands, you ever been around an unsecure, unsecure, insecure leader? Maybe you are an insecure leader. I think all of us are maybe insecure at some level. Saul was super insecure. He was thinking, oh, man, they're going to form a coup. David not only has the popular opinion, everyone loves him. He's a good-looking dude, right? All the ladies love him. All the, all the military personnel love David because Saul isn't going to battle anymore, but David is. Right, so David is leading people, bringing back, you know, plunder, I guess, from conquests, and the military leaders love David. So if you're Saul, you're getting real threatened. The easiest way out of this thing is to get rid of this problem called David. So Saul, over and over again, tries to kill David, and David, over and over again, honors Saul, honors God's timing. So he's hiding out in caves with his mighty men. And they're like, let's take this fool down. David's like, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. There's actually one story, which is not this, but they were hiding out in the back of a cave. And Saul actually comes in to relieve himself, the Bible says. And so he's in a um, vulnerable position, let's say, right? <laughs> Not ready for attack, uh, as he's right. And so David and his mighty men are out there, and they're like, we can take him. The Lord has brought him into our hands, right? It's a little smelly, but he's here. And David's like, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. It's going to be in God's timing, not my timing. So he honors God and honors Saul. 
right? Meanwhile, Saul's trying to kill him. So if you read uh, this Psalm 59, a lot of times what's uh, right above, you know, to the choir director kind of thing is this is right after. So it's David is hiding out and Saul has sent assassins to keep watch over David's place to kill him if he ever leaves. They got a white van out front of the house, right? Waiting for David to come out to go to the, to run some errands and they're going to take him out, right? Not exactly, but you kind of get the idea. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like people gossip about you and it's not true? You ever feel like people say things about you and you're like, oh, if I can just set the record straight, right? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do when people slander you? What do you do when people throw stones at you? What do you do, right? When you think, why are they doing that? Like, what is their agenda? You're trying to take the high road, but they're not. You're like, why don't you just act like a Christian, right? But you refuse to stoop down to their level, but they don't have the same, they're not going to reciprocate that. What do you do? It's not a fair fight. And you pray in those moments, God, are you, are you seeing this? Do you see that I'm trying to be honorable? Are you in my corner? Are you going to rescue me? Are you going to defend me? Because I want to lower my standards and go toe-to-toe. Because if I could just set the record straight, if I could just tell them the truth, I could slander the crap out of their name. If I could tell the real story, then no one will be on their side. But we say this in our house all the time, man. If you fight with a pig, you both get money and the pig enjoys it. Right? We have to take the high road. We have to take the high road. Why? Because when you became a believer, you don't carry your name anymore. Right? You carry the name of Jesus. The Bible calls us apostolos, which is ambassadors. Ambassadors. Do you realize ambassadors can mitigate or create war? Not because of they are, they're, they're representing their name. They're representing their country. And if they say the right things, war can be avoided. And if they say the wrong things, war can start. And a lot of you guys that have been hurt by the church, or I think all Christians are, come on, man, have you met all Christians? No, the reason why you believe that is you met a few that represented the whole. And because they carry the name of Christian, all Christians must be like that. We see a pastor make some boneheaded decisions on TV and we think, oh, all those pastors. No, no, that guy. Right? We know that objectively, but they carry the name. And in the same way, those of you guys are like, man, I love this church because I've been loved by everybody. They've welcomed me by everybody. No, you met a few people that carried the name of Jesus and a much smaller flag, the name of Voice Church. And you've been like, I felt love because those two people love me. So this church must be loving. So we carry a bigger name. So what do you do when you're in a situation like that? Where do you vent? What's appropriate? What's wise? Obviously social media. (laughs) Right? Oh, that's not right? Okay, then some of us need to change our behavior. No, so what do we do? We vent to God. This is why I never want you to read my journal. I never want my wife to read my journal. Sometimes I don't want to read my journal, right? Because it's brutally honest. There's times where I'm ticked off at God. I'm ticked off. 
And it's not unclear, right? It's not unclear. But I think God is just waiting for us to go, you ready to be honest yet? You ready? I can handle it. And so this is one of those journal entries from David. Here's what he says. This is a longer one, but 59, Psalm 59. Rescue, so David's trapped in his house. Rescue me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who have come to destroy me. Destroy me. Rescue me from these criminals. Save me from these murderers. It's not mincing words. They have set an ambush for me. Fierce enemies are out there in the white van, Lord, though I have not sinned or offended them. I've done everything right, God. They're trying to kill me. I've done nothing wrong, yet they prepare to attack me. Wake up. <laughs> Come on, man. Really? Some of us that grew in the church were like, nay on that, bro. Like, it's God. Wake up. You know, God calls him a man after his own heart because he's honest. He's appropriate. He's not blasting this on social media. He's talking to God about it. Wake up. See what is happening and help me. Oh, Lord God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel. This is a little condescending, a little sarcastic. Oh, Lord God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, wake up. And punish those hostile nations because obviously you've been asleep at the wheel. Interlude. <laughs> so show no mercy to wicked traitors. Interlude. <sighs> Let's take a rest. Okay, second act. They come out at night, snarling like vicious dogs as they prowl the streets. Listen to the filth that comes from their mouth. Their words cut like swords. After all, who can hear us, they sneer. But Lord, you laugh at them. You scoff at all the hostile nations. You are my strength. You see his heart shifting. You are my strength. Once all that that poison leaves his body, then this health is starting to come. You are my strength. I wait for you to rescue me. For you, O God, are my fortress. And his unfailing love, my God, will stand with me. He will let me look down and triumph on all my enemies. Don't kill them, for my people will soon forget such lessons. Stagger them with your power and bring them to their knees. O Lord, our shield. Because of the sinful things they say, because of the evil that is on their lips, let them be captured by their pride. I love that verbiage, captured by their pride, their curses and their lies. The traps they put out for me, would they be captured by their own? Destroy them in your anger. Wipe them out completely. He's going back and forth a little bit, vacillating on his emotions. Don't kill them. Kill them. So destroy them with your anger. Wipe them out completely. Then the whole world will know that God reigns in Israel. Do you know what I love about this? We're the same way, right? I feel good. Oh, I'm ticked off. I'm, I'm peace. I'm angry. Like, it's like all this kind of stuff back and forth. And David's like, yeah, me too, bro. So my enemies come out at night, starting like vicious dogs as they prowl the streets. But as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I'm in distress. Oh, my strength, capital S, strength. To you I sing praises, for you, O God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. So you see, his heart is shifting. Circumstances didn't. Nothing's changed, but everything's changed. Why? Because he took time to be honest with God, right? These are these B-side moments that no one will ever see, but you do. And they shape and they color everything they, they, that, that you do. Last journal entry. This is a really dark moment in David's life. He's been king for a while now. So Saul's gone. David is now king. He used to go to war, but now he's a, he's a little plumper than he used to be, a little lazier than he used to be. He used to go fight with the armies. Actually, this passage, when you read it in the Old Testament, says that in the season when kings would go fight, David was at home in the palace. 
So he's been, he used to go fight in the armies, but now he's back home being fed grapes or whatever he's doing. He used to lead by example. Now he leads by position, right? He used to, he used to be able to say, you know, do as I do. Now he's like, hey, do what I say, ignore what I do. Follow these values of the house. Don't look, don't look what I'm doing. He is the kind of leader that's like, hey, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I'm King David, man. You sing songs about me. Yeah, I may not be that guy anymore, but I'm still that guy, right? So his armies are out fighting for him. So he's just chilling, and he sees this young gal on the roof next door. Roof next door, right? He sees Bathsheba over there bathing. And there's a whole lot to unpack here, but he, we have to fast forward. <laughs> this is like the, the recap, the TV show recap. Last week on David's life, he gets, Bathsheba sends for her because he's the king. He sends for her. She's married. Sends for her. Sleeps with her. Gets her pregnant. And then he's like, oh, crap. Bad PR. So he has her husband who's off at war because he's a military leader doing the honorable thing, he sends for her husband, Uriah, to come home. He's like, oh, you've done such a great job. Spend an evening with your wife. He's trying to get out of it. It's like maybe he'll think, you know, we're kind of similar looking. Maybe he'll think the kid is his. And Uriah is honorable. He wouldn't sleep with his wife. And David remembers what he used to be like. But he pushes forward. Because Uriah is honorable, David rewards him and comes clean? No. Because Uriah is honorable, he goes, okay. Tells Uriah's commander, here's what's going to happen. You push him to the front lines of battle. And when the enemy attacks, pull your men back so that he gets killed. Honorable King David. Right? Covering his tracks. Sin upon sin upon sin. So, then uh, Nathan the prophet comes in town and is like, hey, David, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. I'll read it to you. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. So the Lord said, Nathan, just so that David knew the Lord, hey, I saw what you did. And so Nathan goes, David, story time, story time. There's a very uh, close relationship between kings and priests at that time. And so this is what Nathan says. Hey, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but a little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's one lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. I mean, he doesn't have any values, but he still has public values. How could this guy do this? David says, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, vowed as if he has honor. Any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. This is you, bro. Where are, where, what happened to you? The Lord of God of Israel says, I anointed you, king of Israel, and saved you from the power of Saul. 
I give you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms, kingdoms of, of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered. Call it whatever you want. Wartime battle, you know what it is. It's murder. Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. And then the next verse says that David ran off and wept bitterly. And then he says, against the Lord only have I sinned. David realizes in that moment how far he's come. Question for you. What do you do? What do you do when you sin? What do you do? What do you do when you have this epiphany moment when you realize that you've let sin habits grow? Maybe you read an old journal entry and you're like, oh, I don't have that heart anymore, but I want to. Or maybe you make a decision that was so easy for you to make, but you know it was wrong. And you have this moment you're going, why was it so easy for me to make an immoral decision? Why was it so easy for me to let this sin habit grow in my life? Why was it so easy for me to treat that person like that? What's going on in my heart that I could do that? That's not who I am. That's not who God's called me to be. That's not what I want to do going forward. So what do you do? What do you do when generosity turns into selfishness? What do you do when you used to be a servant, you serve people, and it morphs into entitlement? What do you do? So what do you do when God used to be like the most important thing in your life? But if we're honest, call it pandemic, call it whatever. But he's been knocked down a few rungs where he used to be the first thing. And now he's like, he might get some of my leftovers, right? What do you do? What do you, honestly, I'm not asking a rhetorical question. I want you to think about what do you do in those moments? Hide it? Or do you do this? This is what David did. And this is why. See, this is why God calls him a man after his own heart. He doesn't ask David to be perfect. He says, just be honest with me. Just be honest. I see it. Just don't act like I don't. Come on. You know you did it. You know I know you did it. Can we stop playing this game? Do you want to be changed? Then I can help change your heart. But I cannot engage with who you pretend to be. I can only engage with who you actually are. So you're ready to be honest and authentic with who you actually are. Or do you just want to play church? So this is what, what David writes in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. He's like, oh, not because of anything I've done, because of your unfailing love. Have mercy on me. Because of your great compassion, right? Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. I can't sleep against you and you alone have I sinned. Friends are probably going, no, you sinned against Uriah. You sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned against her family, her parents. And David recognizes, yeah, yeah, I understand. But I, it's God first and foremost I sinned against. So I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is, is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the room, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You ever 
gone down the road of sin. We said this Friday night, but sin will take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. It sounds like fun and games at first, but then once you get ensnared by it, you don't have any peace anymore. You don't have any joy anymore, right? David went down such a rabbit hole that he, he could kill somebody. He could sleep with his neighbor's wife. And he mentally he could go there. It wasn't a big deal. There was something messed up, right? And he says, renew, bring back the joy again. Have you had joy? Have you had an absence of joy for a long time? Maybe it's because you've had some stuff growing in the darkness. Sin grows in the dark and you've had some stuff growing in your heart, right? Remove the stain of my guilt. It says, don't keep looking at my sins. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Some of you guys have grown in the church saying this song, right? Some of you guys are singing in your head right now. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. David knows, like, hey, I've messed this thing up. This thing is black as dirt. Can you clean it up? Can you create in me a clean heart, O oh God? And then I love this. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Renew a loyal spirit. Man, my spirit is everything but loyal, obviously. Can you renew a loyal spirit in me? Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Man, some of us is reading our mail right now. Renew the joy of my salvation. It's been a while since you felt joy about having eternal security. It's been a while since you've had joy about following Jesus. He's going through the motions. Renew the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. That's honest. He's going, I don't want to obey you. But I want to want to, right? Would you make me willing to obey you? I love that. Then I will teach your ways to the rebels and they will turn to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. I haven't been talking about you. I haven't been singing songs about you. I haven't been praying. I haven't been telling people about you. Because sin will shut your mouth about anything about God. Because you think, who am I to say anything? I got this sin pattern in my life. I've got this immorality growing unchecked in my heart. Who am I to sing? Who am I to tell other people about Jesus? And you lose all your courage and boldness, right? Unseal my lips. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would, want honor, or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. You don't want me to like, our human nature is to do penance. I messed up. God will make it right. The reality of the gospel is you can't make it right. That's the whole point, right? That's why Jesus went up to the cross. Man, God, you don't want a sacrifice. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. So as we close, it's a powerful thing to surrender. It's a powerful thing to allow yourself to have the strength to not be strong. It's strength to not be perfect. It's strength to realize that you don't have strength. It's strength to realize that we can all drift, that all of us need to realign, that all of us lose sight at times, and maybe this is you. Maybe you used to follow God fully, but now you don't, right? Honestly, maybe you do with your words, but not in your heart. Maybe you've surrendered uh, maybe you've never surrendered to God. You've never done it. Maybe it's time today. Maybe something as we're talking today resonated with you, not my words, but David's words. He actually said 
uh, up here he said, uh, then teach, then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. He's saying that the you're changing my life will impact other people. And maybe something David, as I read his words, that resonated with you. Oh man, that prayer actually aligns with what my heart's feeling right now. It puts words to my emotions. And David had no idea that thousands of years later in central Orange County, he was talking about you when he said others return to God. And he was praying for you. Isn't that crazy to think about? If that's you, it's as simple as saying, God, I, I surrender my life to you. That's it. And if you want to do that today, whether you want to commit to God for the first time or you want, feel like you've out of, you're, you're out of alignment and, and you need to reconnect with God, maybe your, your, your pride is keeping you back because you're a leader in the room. You're on the dream team. You're going, oh, I can't be honest. Yes, you can. The king of Israel can be honest about where he was. Can we create a house, a church family where we don't pretend? Can we just not pretend? Can church be a place where you take the mask off, not put it on? So maybe you need to fill out a connection card. <laughs> honestly, honestly. And say, Taka, can we talk? I need to recommit my life to Jesus. I'm a small group leader, but I haven't really been following Jesus for a while now, but I want to again. Can you have the guts to admit that you're broken? Sacrifice God wants is a broken and repentant heart. So for all of us, some of our most powerful B-side moments will be in moments like this that no one knows about. Quiet, honest prayers that reshape and reshape your heart again. Do you have times like that? Maybe you need to start journaling. I highly recommend day one. That's the app you should get. Over the years, what you'll do is you'll go back to old journal entries and you'll see God's faithfulness. Over and over, you'll go to, go to old, especially if you do handwriting journals, like dead tree journals, right? You'll recognize the handwriting, but you won't recognize the heart because you're not where you want to be, but you're not where you used to be either, right? God is slowly shaping you into his image if you're honest with him. If you're honest with him or you can do the alternative just pretend just go to church just say the right things attend the right things continue to wear the mask how's that working out for you god is saying let me know when you're ready to get real let me know when you're ready to be honest let me know when you're ready to write a really good story that's what we're here for go on an adventure with god so let me pray for you. God, I just, I pray that you would help us to be honest with you, even push past our pride or insecurity or guilt or shame, God. And you already know all that stuff and you're saying, come on, man, come on. Holy Spirit, would you uh, give us the boldness to be honest with you? Would you help us to create the right habits? God, we just wanna be in close relationship with you. We don't, we don't wanna play church. So Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do engage with who we actually are in the mess of it all. You say that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That you want to sit in the, in the garbage, the mess, the shadow of death with us. You want to be with us even in those moments. So God, would you help us to be an honest church, an honest people. And God, would it inspire other people in our lives that they can be honest with you too. For those who need to commit to you for the first time or make a rededication to you, God, would you give them the guts to do it? Give them the courage, the boldness to do it. God, I pray as a result of our lives, would heaven be more full? We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.